Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. Today we're going to be revisiting an organization that we actually spoke with two years ago, uh, right as it was just getting started. Actually, that was Teach for Taiwan, which is a group working to address education inequality here in Taiwan. And the way that they're doing it is、uh, by recruiting young people, who they then train to become teachers,、uh, and then they send them out to rural areas. Uh, and as we're going to hear in a second, those rural areas can have a very hard time finding teachers. The group's founder and chairperson, Anting Lu, has a big vision for where she wants this all to go.、Uh, and I thought now was a pretty good time to check in on how that's all going.、Uh, first of all, those teaching fellowships, as they're called,、uh, well, they last two years.、Uh, so the first batch of teachers that were sent out are now. Uh, just coming up on the end of their term, a couple months from now. On top of that,、uh, Anting was recently recognized on the Forbes magazine list of 30 under 30 social entrepreneurs in Asia. So you know, must be doing something right.、Uh, I recently met up with Anting at the Teach for Taiwan office in Taipei to hear what the last two years have been like.、Uh, Anting Lu, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah,、oh, thank you, Keith. So a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar、uh, with your work and your program,、uh, especially since we've had you on the show before. But、uh, just to kind of lay it out again,、uh, remind people、uh, about the issues that you're working on.、Uh, it seems like the basic problem, if we're really just going to put it in its most basic form, is just the fact that、uh, there aren't enough teachers、uh, that are willing to work in rural areas. So that's why it's、uh, so hard to, you know, find adequate teachers to to serve these schools and serve these students. So, can you talk a little bit about、uh, what is the source of this problem? Sure.、Um, there's actually a lack of quantity and quality of teachers in these underperforming, underprivileged schools in Taiwan.、Uh, so, it's not simply a, a number issue, but also how to enable teachers who go to these schools to perform well. So, our approach—we、uh, are halfway into our third year. So, in the past two years, we have sent out two cohorts of fellows into our two-year program. In this two-year program. You can sort of see it as alternative master's program, where in these two years we enable、uh, willing and capable teachers、um, to gain、uh, the, the competencies they need and the team that will support them to work in these areas、uh, to really work and serve, work with and serve those、um, students, especially with. An underprivileged background, and、uh, we are now, I said, in our third year. So the first two cohorts combined together had about thirty fellows selected out of a pool of about five hundred applicants, and we are actually、uh, in the process of recruiting for our third year fellows. We can talk about that later,、um, but we're expecting thirty、uh, additional fellows to join us this year.、Hmm. Uh, and so that's you know very impressive. Just two years in, you already have thirty、uh, teachers that are out there. Uh, but getting back to、uh, the, the the root problem here,、mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it just a matter of、uh, a lot of these qualified teachers just would prefer to remain in the city and they don't want to go into a more rural area? Yes, that's one part of the issue、uh, where. Uh, a lot of the teachers, certified teachers, would prefer to stay in urban areas.、Um, 
But as I said, uh, it's not entirely uh, their choice either because if even if they, they do go to these areas, they are ill-supported. Um, they have a significant lack of resources they do need to perform well. So when we look at the two-year program and invest in their influence impact after the two years, uh, we want to build a system that not only would enable these uh, fellows and teachers to um, sort of go bridge them to go there, but also to provide the supporting system and resources um, on the ground so that um, they can continue their impact even beyond the two-year program. So, I mean, that's just to put it briefly, I mean, that's really the focus of uh, your work is finding qualified teachers, finding uh, passionate folks that are uh, willing to go out and, and serve these communities and then giving them the, the resources so that they can do a good job. That's right, but uh, the way we do this is not only through bridging people to go to these places, but also from working closely with local communities to understand what they need and how we can best work with them. So um, what we offer each community is not exactly the same. Uh, we we want to make sure that um, we are not coming in sort of in the, in the savior context. We come in uh, in the co- collaborative approach that enables us, the community, and um, also outside stakeholders to work in a aligned manner. And okay, so you're two years in now, you're working in uh, four different regions around Taiwan. Uh, as we mentioned, you have 30 teachers that are out there. Uh, can you just kind of give us a bird's eye view of, of uh, what this all looks like right now? I mean, what's uh, tell us about uh, where they are in Taiwan and uh, what, what kind of work they're doing, just so uh, we can kind of picture what's going on in these classrooms. Sure. Uh, the four regions are Tainan, Pingdong, Yunling and Taidong. So if you know Taiwan's geography, it's mostly in the south part of the island, uh, southeast and, and southwest. Um, if you want to get a sort of bird's eye view of what's happening on the ground, uh, as I said, there's a lot of differences in different communities, but overall, um, the the children, the students that we work with usually come from really fragile families. So uh, what the teachers would have to do is not simply... Um, asking for their academic performances but to also step a step further to their communities and families to really bring the parents um, into the learning process of the students to enable the students to see connections between what they're learning and um, their lives and their um, cultural contexts um, and to really uh, build that sense of uh, importance and motivation for the students in the learning environment, not simply to, to in a more traditional way, to, to pass the tests or to, to go into a good school. We want to instill in those communities an environment that facilitates learning and enables the students to achieve for their own goals, not simply academically. So in general, that's what we are doing in these communities. And um, there is there are so many amazing stories that are happening on the ground um, there are uh, parents a lot of the parents that we work with uh, in especially in the southwest part of the island are from Southeast Asia um, there's a, a huge wave of immigrants coming from Southeast Asia in these parts of Taiwan and uh, typically they feel quite marginalized in the communities in the schools um, but the teachers they, they bring in um, these parents and families they had for example there are some parents who because of the encouragement of their fellows and teachers they opened their own restaurants or found their 
their own place and significance in the community as artists, um, and they are so actively participating in their children's learning in the schools. And the children had um, won awards or participated uh, in different uh, musical or sportive events, and proved that really the only thing that were preventing them from succeeding in their career as a student. Um, were environmental ones, not sort of ones they're they're born with, and they are able uh, to achieve more with the proper instructions in the environment that enables them to do so. So um, it may sound vague, um, but really, I wish I could bring you to one of these schools, Keith, to, to really see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, that does sound like a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, again, to maybe help our, our, our listeners, because... You know, I, I think for a, a lot of uh, us living in Taiwan, it's very hard for us to even think of um, an education problem. I mean, in the big cities, all we see is kids in, you know, eight, nine hours a day. It's like a job. Uh, they study so much. Um, and, and so we're, uh, I think for a lot of our listeners, we may not be terribly familiar with uh, what the situation is like in some of these more rural communities. Uh, so going back a second and just saying, you know, lacking some of these services... What is the situation like? Why why is this something that uh, caught your attention and made you realize you know there's a, there's a problem here and uh, you know extra services need to be provided? Right. Um, if you look at sort of broader broader data, the a lot of us see Taiwan in general as. Uh, in terms of education, be uh, performing well um, and uh, having a lot of great uh, results in terms of international competitions or even PISA uh, test results. But if you look deeper into these data, you see that um, the bipolarization of our student performances is it's a very severe issue here. The if you look at PISA results, for example, the gap between the distance between the highest and the lowest performing students in Taiwan is in fact the largest in the world in terms of um, OECD data. Uh, and um, the bipolarization is not random either. It's uh, highly associated with the student's um, social economic background. And so in other words, um, lower performing students are performing very um, ill, and they are usually from low socioeconomic statuses in Taiwan. Um, one of the reasons uh, that co- that's causing this is, is teachers' quality, quantity um, uh, lacking in these areas. Um, but if you look even deeper into that lacking, um, why is it that even when a teacher is willing um, and hardworking in their work in these schools, why is it so hard for them to bring up students' academic performances? Um, one of the reasons is because the material that the students are asked to be learning, you, you mentioned before that they spend so much time in the schools. Why is it that they're not learning? Um, the materials are usually quite disconnected um, from the students' living contexts, so they do not see... Um, uh, the reason why they should learn these materials is that they lack motivation. In addition, their parents are usually from uh, lower educating, uh, education backgrounds, so they do not see a role model around them where uh, education has really made a difference in, this, in, the, in their community. So um, they do not understand their sense of urgency importance in spending time in school. So even though they spend so much time in school, Quite frankly, even the teachers would say so. A lot of the time was um, not used efficiently. And a lot of the students, as soon as they get a chance, they want to run away 
from um, the the pressure and the judgment coming from this really frustrating learning system we have built for them. So that's why I was saying uh, when we send teachers in there, we're not just sending a person there and asking them to follow um, the system that had been in place there. When we send a person or two people there, any any number of people we send there, we ask them to look at the issue from a more holistic uh, perspective where you see um, different stakeholders in there. Uh, I mentioned materials. I mentioned community. I mentioned environment. I mentioned role models. All these things need to really come together to, to allow our students in these areas to break through um, from their uh, uh, replication of their parents' uh, social statuses. They, they need extra support and they need extra motivation. And that's what we ask these individuals to do on the ground. Well, digging into that even just a little bit deeper, I mean, you talk about uh, a resource gap between uh, the major cities and, and the rural areas. Uh, could you talk a little bit? Is there also an achievement gap? I mean, when we look at... Uh, what life is like for these students after they graduate? Is it, is it really more difficult for them to, to find work that they would want to have? Uh, what, what, what can we look to, or what do you look to, uh, to, to get a sense of that? Right. Um, it's a complicated issue. Um, and uh, if I twist your question a little bit to, to, to ask, uh, how do we define success um, in the teacher's work? We don't just look at academic performances, which is important, but not the only important thing. So in addition to uh, academic performance, we look at students' learning motivation and also their sense of efficacy. And these three things, we think, um, are crucial to enabling the student to achieve his or her goal in life. Um, Traditionally, uh, we define success in a quite a narrow way in a Taiwanese society. You have to get into National Taiwan University or you have to be a lawyer, engineer, or a doctor. Um, we don't necessarily want to um, put in, uh, to force that sense of uh, defined path for our students. We do want them to succeed, but not um, in... Uh, only in the narrow definition of success. We want to succeed in terms of their own goals and, and finding their own uh, full potential in life. Mm. And and so, yes, to answer your question, look at data, anything. Um, if you define success in a narrow way, then, yes, overwhelmingly, there are, I think, 80% 80, 80 or more students in National Taiwan University coming from Taipei City alone. So you see that the, the resource gap, the achievement gap is huge, is, is very obvious as well. Um, but when we try to change that, we don't just want to try to encourage all of them to go to NTU. Uh, we want to make sure that when we help them succeed, um, it's succeeding in realizing their full potential, but not forcing them to become successful only from the society's point of view. Now, looking back on the two years that you've done, I mean, uh, in, in this conversation that you've had so far, you've kind of gone back to uh, emphasizing how, how much you really do want to work uh, with uh, these communities. And uh, you, you've even stressed the importance of, you know, if, if these kids are going to succeed, it's going to be because they're going to see the value of these studies in the context of their own communities. Um, and I remember uh, when I interviewed you two years ago, that was something that you, uh, I guess I can use the word worried, you were a little worried about that, that um, you, you really would be able to uh, integrate the teachers that you were sending out there mm -hmm. into these communities uh, and, and, you know, not produce a lot of strife, a lot of unnecessary strife. Right. So uh, reflect on that a little bit. I mean, uh, now that you have two years of experience, mm -hmm. how's that been going? How, have, have you been able to... 
uh, make this as smooth a process as you were hoping? Yes, actually, I, I've been so grateful for um, those communities, um, whether it's their local leaders, uh, their uh, members, or just the teachers who we, uh, we've sent into these communities. We've trained them to, to, to build trustful relationships. We trained them to really um, see the, the root issues in these communities, not trying to impose on them um, what they thought before they joined the community. So um, all these things have really come together in the past two years. Um, we have seen local leaders championing for more of our Teach for Taiwan fellows to join their community because they have seen uh, real values that they are providing um, in a joking way, but it's actually real. Some of our fellows had actually been asked to um, join local elections. They had not said yes. <laughs> it's against their contract in the two years. But that's simply to say that the trust they've been able to build the communities uh, was even enough for them to be considered uh, an elected um, leader in some of, th some of these uh, towns or uh, smaller tribes. And uh, one of the reasons is because... Um, the uh, these communities that we work with typically have um, an issue of young people moving out uh, continuously and in a in a in a big scale as well. Um, but now we are actually encouraging and sending um, capable and willing young people to to really invest and uh, build roots in these communities. Uh, uh, the, 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 the members in those communities are truly appreciative of these young people um, and. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, I think, I, I don't know if I would use the word worry either, um, but yes, it was something that we saw as a big challenge we needed to overcome. And in the past two years, thanks to our friends and partners locally, I think that's been one of the areas of uh, great progress and success for us. Actually. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with uh, Teach for America, um, and uh, your program, Teach for Taiwan, is kind of modeled on that in, in a lot of ways, although it also has a, a lot of things that are distinctive about it. Okay. Um, and uh, Teach for America, you know, it, it takes some criticism sometimes. Uh, well, I mean, if you, if you look at it a certain way, it can come off a little condescending. You know, right. We're, right. We're, we're these educated elite people. We're going to go and fix your community. We're going to go out and fix you. Um, is that something that you were trying to uh, work to, to get past to, um, or, or, or was that an attitude that you ran into and, and how did you get past that? Sure. Um, yes, the program borrows its name from Teach for America. Um, and uh, it is in many ways inspired from, by some of his work. But I would say it's actually by now more different than it is um, similar to the Teach for America model, um, partly because we started with a very small scale. Um, the reason behind that is to ensure that we gain sufficient understanding uh, because you can only gain this understanding by uh, working with them, uh, not by studying them or by reading on data. You really need to get on the ground and start working with them little by little to, to be able to, to gain trust and to be able to uh, design the program really from um, the the community's perspective. And so we started with only nine fellows the first year. With such a small number, it enables us. Myself, I spend more than half my time on the ground talking to leaders and um, trying to really, even from a scientific point of view, collect 
uh, evidences on our success and failure on the ground, and we, with that data, um, quickly corrected a lot of our program design. In second year, we sent more fellows, 20 fellows, and this year we're expecting even more, 30. Um, and uh, I mentioned before that um, the relationships that we have built with local communities is actually something that I am extremely grateful and proud of um, because that. If I could only mention one thing that contributes to our success so far, it would be that, that really um, uh, we have a strong foundation of trust in working relations with these communities that we do work with. Before we send any fellow into a community, we spend at least half a year to a year to converse with um, the, the, the members of the community to make sure they are comfortable. And only when they are comfortable, uh, we sign a contract of cooperation with them. And so um, I think the, the, the mindset um, that we had instilled in our work from the very onset of our work um, contributes to this quite different relationship and I cannot comment on Teach for America since um, I think with such a big program there's so much diversity in there as well I'm sure in some communities they face challenges that you mentioned um, being seen as condescending but in some others they may have success as well so I can't comment on them but for our perspective um, I think we see ourselves actually as a, a grassroots movement so to be able to call ourselves a grassroots movement, we really need to be part of the grassroots. And so um, that's, why, that's why I'm confident if you actually go to any of these communities and ask them about Teach for Taiwan Fellows, uh, you will hear very positive feedback from them. Right. So up until now, uh, we've really been focusing on uh, the school end of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, uh, the other end that you really need to uh, think, be thinking a lot about is uh, the teachers, the folks that you're going to be sending out there. Um, and so that's a whole process. You need to recruit them. You need to train them. You need to support them. Uh, have you run into anything in that whole process that's uh, surprised you? I mean, uh, volunteerism is, uh, well, the attitudes towards it in Taiwan are perhaps a little bit different in the U.S. So I'm just curious, I mean, w what was that experience like? Sure. Um, as you said, uh, the the idea of volunteerism is quite different in Taiwan and than, say, the Western countries. Uh, so to convince younger people it took some work, but actually we found that um, one surprising aspect of it was it was actually more difficult to convince their parents than the young people per se. So we actually um, did a lot of work to involve the parents of these potential fellows in the early stage. Um, and we're talking about adults here. Right. They They were on board with this, but their parents were skeptical. That's right. They, they they worried, right? Sending their kids to to faraway places, um, doing you know, work that seems to be so difficult. They worried that they would be the, be harmed, or they would um, lose money, or uh, anything. They can worry about a lot of things, and we understand. So uh, once we found that out, um, as I said, we have info sessions. We have line groups <laughs> we have uh, Facebook pages specifically for the parents of our fellows to to really convince them that we are a trustworthy team and that your children are succeeding and excelling um, during their two years here and beyond so it's really a matter of uh, kind of winning hearts and mind to a certain extent I mean is it, does it also involve an attitude change uh, or, a, or a culture change to any extent of course, I think there's some aspect of that as well to challenge the traditional definition of success, um, to uh, to call for 
a broader imagination of uh, what what your child could do um, in the future, um, not just sort of traditional uh, professions that that most parents can imagine for their kids. And so, yes, there are some uh, extent of uh, reimagining things there. Um, but yes, uh, we do uh, focus on relationship building before we make any challenges to their beliefs. Now, you've been kind of hinting at this the whole time, and now I really just want to hit it really squarely. I mean, looking forward, it sounds like what you're, well, a lot of what you're talking about here is not just a matter of resources, and, and, and you've said that. Uh, it's really a matter of uh, changing the approach to education on, on a pretty fundamental level. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about not just teaching towards tests. You're talking about uh, not just focusing on a specific set of goals, maybe having a more uh, broader idea of what success could mean. Uh, so uh, talk a little bit about that aspect uh, uh, of what you're doing and, and what you're hoping this to kind of move towards uh, in the long term. Sure. Um, well, in the long term, as you said, I think there is a broad wave of education changes um, being called for by a lot of different people, many many more prominent than, than us, um, but we do see ourselves as only one player in this greater education reform movement that's, that's um, happening in Taiwan. Um, and so... Um, uh, some of the listeners you, you might you might have heard of Dr. Benson Ye from National Taiwan University. You might have heard of uh, Stanley Yen uh, of Cultural Alliance Foundation. Um, you might have heard of uh, Khan Academy or the Taiwanese version being called Junyi Academy. Um, there are so many of our partners and collaborators together. We uh, are able to, to move things forward day by day. Um, and areas that need reform include um, teacher supporting system, teacher training, we include um, resource uh, reallocation, would include um, a, a higher level imagination for the future of our education. Um, it would include um, enabling uh, the teaching profession to be um, attracting the right talents again. Uh, so there are so many things that need to happen. And us in Teach for Taiwan, we focus more, as you've heard, on uh, the, the teacher side and the, especially teachers for the rural or underprivileged schools in Taiwan. All right. And uh, just looking at this very uh, specific moment in time, uh, your group is working towards starting their third year uh, of teaching, which I'm sure is very exciting, uh, but you've also got some recruitment going on that's uh, just about to wrap up. That's right. So if any of you are interested, our current recruiting deadline is April 7th at 1 p.m. So um, we do have a long weekend coming up. So if you're interested, make sure you submit your application online. Uh, and the website is? It's www.teach4taiwan. That's number four. So T-E-A-C-H, the number four, T-A-I-W-A-N dot O-R-G. All right, so uh, you have the long weekend to work on that, as she said. We have been speaking today to Anting Ting Lu. She is the chairperson of Teach for Taiwan. Anting, Ting, thanks so much for speaking with us today. No, thank you for taking the time, Keith. That's it for the show today. Taiwan Talk is ICRT's weekly interview segment, bringing you conversations from and about Taiwan. You can catch the broadcast every Monday at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. right after the top-of-the-hour news broadcast. 
or you can find extended interviews online, just like the one you just heard. Uh, those are available on iTunes, the ICRT website, uh, and I am trying to start making blog posts about it at the ICRT blog as well. You know, tight week schedule, but uh, doing my best there. If you are listening through iTunes, please do subscribe to the show, leave a comment, rate and review it. All of those things really do help us get the word out about it. Also lets us know what you're thinking, so that is very helpful as well, and we do thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the show today for Taiwan Talk and ICRT. I'm Keith Manconi.